coming up. Readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland-approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb stormlight. Hone sympathy. Harness Sayadar and Sayadeen. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. All right, what's up? Soldiers dedicated Nashaman, Stephen, Jake, and Caden from Phantology back again with our second part of the Lord of Chaos review. This one is full spoilers. So if you listen to the non-spoiler, you heard us do a little bit of an overview and give our ratings of the book. I gave it a 7.5, Jake gave an 8, Caden gave a 6.5. Hmm, not really sure what that's about, but uh, we're going to talk about the whole plot now. So we're just going to jump right into that. Uh, feel free to kind of get some overview type comments from us in the previous episode. But to start this one off, we're going to talk characters. So the first character we've got to talk about, and it's probably going to drive a lot of the discussion, is Randall Thor, right? The first Ashaman. Big Rand book, right? Do you agree? <laughs> yes, it was a big Rand book. Center of the conflict being between, I guess, him dealing with the tower, Aes Sedai, and the uh, Saladar, I don't know what you call him, the rebel yeah. faction of the Aes Sedai. And yeah, one of the things that actually kind of bugged me was like how Rand didn't see any of like their trickery coming at the end where they like captured him. Sorry, jumping straight to the end here. Didn't mean to go that, that no, far. No, yeah, but... we're, we're covering whatever plot points. We're just going to talk characters. Uh, I feel like Rand got a little, I guess, I think he started to get a little arrogant in the in this book. And, and sorry, again, to jump around, like he has his school going on with Mazram Taim, right? He's feeling good. He's, you know, not in the Aes Sedai's pocket anymore. Yeah, he's flexing it with his his personal, you know, group of of male channelers. He's feeling good about himself there. And and he's loving playing the rebels off of the the White Tower faction. I like your what you said is arrogance. Like I think it's arrogance really shines there. And like anytime anything doesn't go how he wants, he just like teleports away to the other city, right? He travels yeah, to, yeah, exactly. from carry into Yeah. That's gotta be another power move on his part. He's like, I can travel, you guys can't. Haha. <laughs> So, Caden, you said that you didn't love all of the politics. Obviously, the rebel Asadai and the Tower Asadai are a big part of that. Did you like this part of the politics or no? Uh, no, I, I actually really liked more of the politics surrounding Egwene and uh, her parts, which we could wait to, to cover. That was more yeah. a lot more interesting to me and all the stuff that stemmed from her, her side there. Uh, I felt like on on Rand's side, this one was like the same thing kind of over and over again throughout the book where they would come, they'd talk to him, you know, he'd buff him off or whatever. And then it slowly kind of got ramped up more and more started with the the bonding rape thing from Alana. And then from there, it got more and more until more and more. He said, I were everywhere. And Min was like, they're going to get you. And he was pretty much floundering by the end and, and got captured. A little embarrassing. Yeah. What were your thoughts, Caden, on the the bonding? Like the surprise. That's exactly what I was about to say. I was, oh yeah, definitely surprised. Didn't see it coming. And I was like, why Alana? I was kind like, of a random. I don't know. Yeah, it's like you don't really, you don't really know her that well. Like I feel like her bonding him without permission is her like biggest characterization moment up till now. That told you more about her character than anything else we knew. So it's kind of, it feels like why her, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I could see it more coming from Varen. Like she seems to be more aggressive, like power move, you know, to... Yeah. to bond him um and i guess my problem with alana is i'm kind of hoping she like gets cooler in the next or makes some bigger besides that one you know i guess that's a pretty big uh move to make but it just seems like the rest of the time in the book she was crying about the warders who were killed right and didn't really do anything else and maybe this again this could have just been a bigger setup for later books her being a bigger for this bond being a bigger part but yeah it was really interesting where do you see this plot point going like bonded to this random Aes Sedai. You know, I'm actually hoping that it becomes a good thing and a way to like ease tensions between Aes Sedai. Mm -hmm. Oh, so you think they're actually going to be able to communicate effectively <laughs> because of this bonding? <laughs> this is the Wheel of Time, Kate. Yeah, you're right. There'll be no good communication. 100% right. 
was she, was she there at the end of the knelt or you will be knelt? Was she a part of that? I think she, I no, cause she was in, she was in Camelin. No, no. Right? She was, she was telling them where he was. Was she there? Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. I don't know. Embarrassing oversight. Do we remember this? We may have to have <laughs> you guys tell us on discord if she was there yeah. or not. Well, g- getting to the, the kidnapping then, like you brought up. So you said like you could tell he was he was like arrogance was growing, which I feel like was a kind of a callback to the earlier, more carefree Rand. Like he was kind of getting harder. And then it's kind of like he saw himself as, oh, I'm like way more in control than I thought. I can play these people off of each other. And so like yeah. it, was, it was almost like a playful arrogance. But like you said, you could see that going south quick. Did you did you think a kidnapping was coming? What did you like? How did you think it would come back to bite him? I was no, totally surprised I, the first time I read this. I was yeah, like, what? I knew they had to have some, like, you knew something was going on. Just, I mean, there's so much foreshadowing throughout that entire thing. And Min has the that vision as well. Right. So. Yeah. I didn't, ex- I didn't really expect a, a kidnapping per se. That wasn't what I, I thought was coming. Um, I don't know what I thought was coming looking back, but I did feel like he was getting really comfortable. Um, I think because, you know, the past two, I, mean, I guess he's just had a lot of success every you know, at the end of every book, he's overcome big odds. And then uh, I think he just finally got comfortable. And you're like, hang on a sec. Like, you're not you haven't made it yet. There's still like pretty much the entire world against you. So Let, let's kind of talk about like Rand's ultimate fate there after the kidnapping at the very end. We'll, we'll call that like our big climax of the book and of the podcast. But some other things about Rand, he learns more about Luce Theron that Lutheran is a real presence in his mind and that's a bit of a conflict for him as well and then I just think the big thing for him is the whole time he's just being besieged on every side not only by the two Aesidai groups but of all these different rulers of nations that are petitioning for this and that and he's got like no one to help him except for men finally shows up towards the end he's not doing a good enough job of delegating these things off because he doesn't trust anyone yeah one one thing there like he has Matt go to go get Elaine right that's true. And That's fair. He has this plan. At least it felt like his plan was, hey, Matt, you guys go get her, come back quick. And then they're now on their own trip to what's it called? Ebu. Ebudar. Ebudar. Yeah. Ebudar. Thanks. Yeah. So Rand sends Matt and he gets outmaneuvered. And then Matt gets outmaneuvered and gets sent off to Ebudar. So total loss right. for both of them. It's <laughs> so like the one person he kind of trusted, like, didn't turn out anything like what Rand wanted it to turn out. Right. Yeah. And then he has that random Shadar Logoth mission and he loses that uh, Maiden of the Spear, Laia. And that's going to be another yeah. thing that kind of like, uh, I know another woman that's died for me. Like the closing the Waygates thing. Like, eh, I don't know if I love that plotline. I mean, OK, the Waygates should be closed. But at the same time, it's like, man, there's a lot right now. So it, it was a lot of random plot threads. So did Laia die? Is she just dead? Is she gone? Well, she was taken that. by Mashadar, right? Okay, I just didn't know if she was dead or if that was going to come back in a later thing. I was kind of hoping it would, like she'd turn evil or something, you know, and come back later on. I guess wait and see. I mean, all we know right now is that uh, she has fallen to the to the city to Shadar Logoth. Another little tidbits about Rand, like he learns more about his family. He learns that his mother was Tigrain, right? The One of the old daughter heirs in Andor. And this kind of explains a little bit more about his backstory, which is nice. As the reader, he also there's kind of this thing where he investigates to see if Elaine is related to him yeah. or not, and is relieved to find out not. And I'm really glad because I don't need any more incest plot lines in fantasy books. Like, kind of yeah. done with that. So this was good. It's kind of a near miss, but <laughs> not blood, right? So it's all good. <laughs> yeah, good thing George R. R. Martin's not writing the, the yeah. series. <laughs> anything? Anything else about Rand before? I mean, we'll talk more about him at the end, but anything kind of in this middle section? I'm I am annoyed at the uh, Min Rand situation. Okay, you don't you don't like their relationship, or it's frustrating, or just no, the sexual just tension is too much. Yeah, yeah, the he needs to get over her just being a friend and move on. Yeah, Rand is arrogant there too. He's I don't know if that's arrogance or what the word is, but he's, he's certainly got some wool over his eyes there. It's like, dude, this is so obvious. Well, I was gonna say I um I like that this is like the blossoming of of him and Min. I think another important part of his characterization, like you said, is he kind of comes to terms with Luce Theron and realizes 
this isn't something I always need to like shut out and fight. Like, like it was useful for him to escape. Especially, yeah, that was huge at the end. And yeah. I thought that deal with the magic system even more. It's nice to see like, oh, these weaves are tied off. These ones are not. Therefore, we're able to get into it. Like there's reasons and not. it's not just all soft magic. I know in the past, yeah. Jake and I have gotten into some soft, hard magic uh, arguments on Wheel of Time. So I'll give you this one because there's a lot of hard magic, especially at the end of this one. Definitely a, a, a harder mag- a hard magic system, just not as hard as, as a lot of what we're used to nowadays. <laughs> all right. So next character. In the non-spoiler review, we named off our favorite characters. And I said my favorite character was Mazram Taim. And let's talk about him now. So this guy is awesome. He's a super gray, intriguing character. Caden, is he evil? Yes. Yeah, he's evil. Prediction of evil. Okay. Prediction evil. Yeah. Is, is he Dark One evil? Is he Shadar Logoth evil? Or is he just his own selfish evil? I would say selfish evil. Yeah. I think he has his own motives. I don't I don't think he's working for yeah, like no shattered logoth or or dark one evil. But I don't think he's up like he is I mean, as we see in the end of the book, pretty powerful and he's got a lot of things going for him. He could do a lot. So I think he has an ulterior motive for coming and working with Rand when he could easily not be and still be amassing a lot of power for himself. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's a mistake how laissez-faire Rand's acting around the, the Black Tower then. Just, here's what you got to do, and I'll, I'll leave you. <laughs> Get it done. Yeah, I do think it's a, a mistake. And even, like, I mean, when he's around Mosram Taim, right, Luz Theron in his head's, like, freaking out. And it's like, oh, don't yes. trust this guy, right? Like, But is Luz Theron not... in his head sane enough to really distinguish between who should be trusted or not? Well, apparently we learned from this book he shouldn't trust anyone. So Luce Theron's right, probably like 90% <laughs> of the time right now. Yeah. Well, Luce Theron is able to distinguish a nice woman and kind of hum. Oh, yeah. Lot, lots of humming. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how they're going to do that in the TV adaptation. <laughs> Just this, <laughs> this humming. <laughs> I said earlier that Rand doesn't delegate enough, but I'm I'm immediately proved wrong because he delegates way too much to Taim here at the Black Tower, like, I, I mean, I, at least in this book, it kind of seems like there's not enough oversight here as these Ashaman are not really in Rand's control by the end. I mean, they help him, but yeah, uh, who are they really serving is kind of the question. It's like, it, I feel like the book does a good job of frustrating you of where you think he should delegate more. He's like too reticent to trust anyone, but the times when he should pay a little bit more attention maybe and be more wary, he's like, no, you got it. Go ahead. I, th- I think it does work for him to be he- he's like on a whole nother plane right he's the dragon reborn he's not just an ashaman he's like something else and so by having Mazram Taim lead that I think it separates him and adds yeah I don't know if it's mystique or you know just something there in that in that relationship that I think actually would prove useful like I think it's a good thing for his character and like decisions he could be making so I don't think it's all a negative thing yeah, and also his, I, I don't remember if he like explicitly says it in the book, but the idea that he's not going to be around forever, but he wants this to be around forever. So he doesn't want to just tie to him. So that way, when he's gone, it's not like, okay, yeah, some nice, you have no purpose nice anymore. Which he's, he's tried to, he's had moments like that, a couple moments where he's trying to make something last beyond him, like make the world a better place, not just make it survive kind of idea. And I think that's one of the reasons why he wants Elaine to come back to Camelon, right? Like he's like, we're, he's seeing the rest of the world fall apart. He's like, yeah. I have Carrion and Camelon here that could be united and be strong. And he sees that he doesn't want to tear that apart. Yeah. He's got that Alexander Hamilton, like thinking about the legacy. <laughs> what is the legacy? <laughs> you, got, you got me thinking about that because of your uh, use of reticent. Reticent, yeah. Yeah. All right. Back on topic. So Taim is also around for one of the most cringeworthy speeches moments in the entire series. I think when Rand is at the black tower explaining the new system, they've got the cool pins and their badges as they level up. They're like boy scouts here, but no one (laughs) responds at all. And they're all just like dead silent. Rand's like expecting like a cheer or clap or something. It's like nothing. And then Taim is like, okay, disperse for chores. It's like, Oh gosh, that was cringy. Like, come on, give Rand something here. Yeah, it kind of shows his naivete a little bit. Like he's still like he's young, you know what I mean? He has these like yeah. hopes for the world. He's not completely jaded, but 
He's like, he thinks people would like the badges and the, the, yeah. they don't like his badges. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to be honest, when I first read it, I was like, I got to get me a badge like that. It sounded yeah, so like, cool. I want, like, I want to be one of the, I want to level up. It's awesome. It's yeah. Good. Dragon on my collar. Yeah. That'd be awesome. <laughs> Notably, time never has them on. He, he doesn't apply the badges to his own collar. Yeah. He's, he's kind of got the opposite mindset where he doesn't want to be associated as much because he doesn't want to be seen as at like, He's above all that kind of thing. Oh, yes. He's very arrogant. I was going to say, that whole moment felt like I was in a uh, like a little spy club with my little friends growing up, you know, where there's like one person who's the leader and everyone just like, your ideas are stupid. Why are we playing this or whatever? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of how I felt like in that, in that moment, uh-huh. reading it. Yeah, it's like a total mean girls thing. Um, actually, no, we don't want to hang out with you. <laughs> yeah, yep. I will say we are criticizing him for delegating so much and giving so much power to Taim and when it comes to influence at least, but it is what saves him at the end, you know, like that was, that's the game changer and yeah, yeah, they did exactly what he wanted them to do basically. Yeah. They were the tool that he needed. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about some characters who are for sure evil. Let's talk about the Forsaken. So there were a lot of scenes with the Forsaken. I was counting them off as I was, kind of preparing some notes here. So Demandrid was in there a bit. Mohidian was there. Shutter Haran, who's not necessarily a Forsaken, like he's kind of this other thing at this point. I don't know how much of that, Caden, you actually understand yet, so I don't want to spoil anything. Um, Samael's in there. Grandal is in there. Samuraj is in there. Arangar slash Halma is in there. Probably mispronounced all of those names. But I love all of these Forsaken chats where they're like, sitting around with all the stuff that they got from the stasis box from the age of mm-hmm. legends of their, you know, their nice plush armchairs is by the fire. This is kind of how I imagined having these totally evil conversations. These are awesome. They have their like, yeah, their museums and they're just like, they're like trying to live like gods and like not really doing that much in the world, at least in this book, it feels like they're kind of just in the background. Yeah. Rand has a plan to go after Samael and he kind of starts to put it into place, but never really makes it because he gets put into a box instead. But the Forsaken are making moves and they all kind of seem to be pitted against each other. Like they're like, yeah, yeah, Rand, you know, he's a bit of a problem. But really, I'd like to be Nablis, so or Nablis. So uh, yeah, let's make sure we get rid of the other Forsaken first and get me first in line for, for the great honors. Well, also like the whole instruction to let the Lord of Chaos rule, you know, like yeah, they've kind of been extru- instructed to leave them be for the minute to let I don't know I feel like I couldn't really tell like what Rand was doing that was like would be so terrible for the dark one to just let him run his plans you know I didn't feel like that really made sense for them to just leave him alone a little bit of plot armor maybe it's a little interesting Kaden who, who's your favorite Forsaken who do you think is doing the best um none of them <laughs> maybe I haven't just seen any of their plans work yet like I was yeah, a big Lanfear fan up until she disappeared, you know? Yeah, that was a fail for her. So I was, I mean, we talked about that earlier. So right now, like... I would think, like, the leaders in the clubhouse right now are probably Demandred and Samael. Like, both of them have made a lot of moves here. Demandred kind of seems to be in charge a little bit. And Samael's got this, like, manipulative conversation with uh, Grandal. And he sends that emissary to try to make peace with or make a truce with Rand, that doesn't work. I mean, it's a total fail, but both these guys seem to be doing stuff. Like, they're a little more active. Yeah, and I, I honestly think Samael is a little too arrogant, and he's like... Uh, so I, I do. I wasn't impressed with him. I think... I don't know if Rand's plots work out like any of the other books. Didn't seem like anything too much was hanging there, but Demon Dread seemed to be the most, like, shady and has stuff going on there. So, so far, we've called every character arrogant. Perfect. <laughs> I think they all kind of are. <laughs> yeah, they're just all strong-willed. Yeah. I mean, we haven't even got to the girls yet. Talk about arrogant. That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't say parents arrogant. Parents not. Okay. Parents not. Matt can be situationally, but he, he's maybe not as much. Jake, what's your take on the Forsaken at this point? Um, I, I'd agree. I think it's the fact that Semiel is a known, like we know where he's at and like Rand has like known of him. And like, we've had a little, like, I don't know, tit for tat with him. But, um, Demon Dread is just a complete mystery. Basically. You don't know where he is. You don't really know what his plan is. 
he seems pretty confident in himself. So it's, he's got this air of, I don't know, like mystery around him, I guess. But honestly, Grindel has never seemed like a threat. She seems to, to enter herself <laughs> and her worldly pleasures to be a threat. Yeah. I was really excited when uh, Mo Gideon got released at the end. Like, yeah. She was just kind of boring, you know, caught up. And... Yeah, she needed to get out of there. Yeah, she served her purpose being enslaved and needed to be gone. Based on how you guys said a few of the names there, I realized I did, in fact, mispronounce them. So sorry, Demandred. Demandred? Oh, I don't know. I've, I say them so many different ways because I've heard so many people say them different ways. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about the girls a little bit. So Elaine, Nynaeve, they're kind of together for most of it. Uh, yeah, they didn't do super great. <laughs> Elaine had her, uh, or sorry, Nynaeve had her moment where she healed. Logan. Yeah. The, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a That's cool moment. The best for both yeah. Of them. That's a cool moment. She heals Logan and Swan and Leanne. Which I think allowed uh, Egoin to make a really cool move when she lets Logan go. I really like that decision. Yeah, that plot and Rand's plot line up pretty well. Like they they feed off of each other, you know, with like the Black Towers established, and then now Nynaeve can heal Logan. I thought that was really, really well put together. Oh, sorry. One other thing about the healing, I liked that Swan and Zeliana could get healed. But at the same time, like they weren't all the way like normal. Right. Adding another layer. Yeah. More depth to the plot. And it just wasn't like, oh, hey, everything's fixed and happy just magically. You know, there's there's still problems to work through. And it it shapes Zawans and Liana's, uh, you know, what they're trying to do with the Aes Sedai there. It just it makes it hard. You know, they have to now change their plans and the politics become more interesting because of that. So I guess they do do okay. Like they, you know, the healing happens. Elaine kind of makes some progress getting off to Abu Dhar and getting uh, Thailand's help over there. But they're just kind of bratty for every step of the way. I mean, Elaine mostly. Nynaeve has another big temper blow up. It's a little bit of a step back from her after Fires of Heaven. Ah, they're tough to read about. I mean, Elaine like turns down Matt's help again, really. Let this, let's this dude help you a little bit. Yeah. This is like a low, real low point for Elaine's character for me just in the sense of how annoying she is and it's probably because she's around Matt I feel like Matt brings out the worst in her and probably vice versa but just her whole mindset that he should just do what she says and be grateful for it the whole time but I did love the like Matt's interaction with them like that was a good part and as you talked about the Black Tower there Jake I remember that we forgot to do a shout out to our friends over at the Black Tower podcast, we attended their get-together over the weekend for their two-year anniversary. So shout out to those guys. That was a good time. And this is the perfect episode to do it because we're celebrating the founding of your tower. So yeah. congratulations on that. Yeah, listen to the guys at the Black Tower podcast. They were so fun. We did. They had axe throwing, archery, and then a real-life heron-marked blade challenge where it was you just get fruit thrown at you and you had to see how many fruit you could slice with some nice swords and the taste the taint challenge yeah, at the end where we had to eat hot yeah hot sauce we got some hot one sauces ready for the taste the taint challenge and they were pretty spicy so sorry Caden, you missed out on that but we'll we'll invite you yeah. to the yeah, third jealous to the third annual yeah yeah we had a great time they're awesome all right so let's take a break here from the girls a little bit i mean let's go to another girl maybe more of a woman so Morgase is over in Amadicia trying to get asylum and she's being used there by the Children of the Light to take over Andor. This is just a little side plot line, doesn't get a whole lot of face time here, but it also seems like it could be important. It was weird to me, like the rumor of her being killed, like spread so quickly throughout, like it seemed like everyone in the book, you know, at some point had heard about it. Yeah. And you'd think like that there would be some rumors, even if they're small going around that, oh, hey, she survived. You know, people have seen her. I mean, there are rumors, at least around the white cloaks, right? Someone shows up. I don't remember who it is now, you know, shows up at the uh -huh. city and it's like, hey, I hear you have more gays, you know. So I just thought that would, you know, spread further than it than it did. And I think that would have helped. You know, it's one of those. It's a classic, again, example of communication, right? Everyone is mad at either mad at Rand because he potentially killed more gays or. Uh, they think their mom, you know, Elaine thinks her mom's dead, so it's changing her decisions there. 
Yeah, and I mean, part of that's just they don't have cell phones, right? No email, no newspapers. It's all word of mouth, word of mouth type of stuff. So it's understandable a little bit. It's also frustrating as a reader. You're like, come on, really? Like everything is miscommunicated. Like you guys don't understand each other at all. It's a little. It can be a little frustrating. It's, and there's another, there's a funny part there too with Elaine when she was like, she says something about her mom never letting like you know white cloaks into the city. There's like a, she's like, my mom would say, you know, as soon as you let the enemy in, you can never get him out. Um, and it's funny because that's exactly what her mom is then, you know, considering yeah. doing on the other side. So a little irony there from the, because of the lack of communication. Okay. So now with Egwene, Caden, you said in our previous episode in the non-spoiler segment that Egwene was your favorite character. So tell us why. I loved um, Aiel Egwene. Just like her being around the, uh, the wise ones right and i feel like her character grew a lot through her experience with them and she wasn't really annoying like i just felt like she like she didn't agree with rand on a lot of things but i just like genuinely like what she wanted from you know you know how she was trying to impact the world to be a better place and the decisions she was making and then i liked her getting made the omerlin because it was funny you know i actually didn't see that coming and the whole time i was like trying to think like okay who's the dumb Aes Sedai they're gonna make Omerlin that they can control yeah. right I'm like trying to think through all these characters like who's the weak one they're gonna pick and it's like <laughs> oh okay didn't see that coming but I love it just because of like she just comes in and handles it and I feel like she had more maturity than Nynaeve and Elaine there like she started running things and kind of took control and she had the wise one training yeah not hard to have more maturity than those guys to be honest right <laughs> Yeah, I just like the, yeah, the Aiel. I want her to, I wanted her, like, when she was leaving, I'm like, oh, she's got to get back to the wise ones, right? Like, how are they going to work that out? And she's already killing it as Amerlin, I would say. I mean, through one book so far. Yeah. But they they think that she's going to be a puppet, and it's cool because you get both perspectives of the Saladar as Sedai plotting this whole thing, then you get Elaine, or you get Egwene coming in and realizing that this is the case. And then you get her saying, like, actually, I'm not going to be the puppet. So, Swan, why don't you come help me? And we're immediately going to manipulate stuff to our advantage. Yeah. Well, it, there's like three, not only that, there's like three different factions in the Saladar. That are Ice trying to I, control right, her. To, yeah. Right. And she's able to come in and be like, oh, I know what they are. And these are how I'm going to control all three of them to do different things. Right. Yeah. Swan is such an asset to her. Like, I like the idea of how she's not just fighting back. She's like, okay, how can I use them thinking I'm a puppet to my advantage to like, I don't know. So there's like, they don't even realize she's outmaneuvering them. They just think she's being dumb or frustrating or something like that. Yes. Yeah, speaking of uh, black tower podcast again, I was on a panel with them not too long ago. We were talking best arcs, best character arcs and the series. And my entry was Swan Sanche. So yeah, I mean, no spoilers there. Can you'll see kind of where she goes, but she's got an awesome arc so far from Amberlin to depose to stilled to now being Hild, to now being like this, the right-hand woman here with with uh, Egwene. So let's see where she goes, but this is really good stuff from her. Yeah, her determination is like so apparent throughout all the circumstances she's put in. Okay, so Egwene also had... She also fell in love with Galen, right? I mean, that happened. <laughs> sadly. <laughs> sadly. <laughs> it sadly happened. We can't ignore that. I mean, she had an awesome book, except for that... In my opinion, sounds like maybe you guys are on board a little bit. Like, do we like the Gowan romance? Sounds like we don't. <laughs> we can try and ignore it. <laughs> I'm fine with uh, it. I've never had. I, I think Gowan can be frustrating at times for sure, but I've never had the hatred for his character that a lot of people who read the series do. Yeah, I don't like him. And I, I do think this was another case of those romances where it's like, maybe kind of have a crush on this person, but. I guess since I slipped into his dreams, now we're in love. And yeah, now, now that I'm gonna escalated very quickly. Yeah, <laughs> now I'm going to profess my love forever, which is like, Gowan doesn't even know that she was creeping on him. But he's fine with it. Yeah, he's fine with it for sure. <laughs> Speaking of Gowan, at the beginning of the book, I didn't like him, kind of on your side, Stephen. And now I kind of like him more. I, oh, okay. I kind of like the difference in the plot that comes from him not just like being on board with everything. Yeah. I think, okay. it, I think it adds okay. an interesting angle. Where at the beginning, I was just like, oh, this guy, like, what's wrong with him? You know, so I actually grew to like him more over this book, except for the Egwene part. 
Yeah, I think like I think it's totally fair to be frustrated with him as a character, but like you said, he adds so much to the depth of the plot and just the the interpersonal relationships. Also, I appreciate his character so much more when you directly compare him to Galad's arc or Galad. Like when you compare them as they progress, what each one of them is doing and and who they are and I think that's a really cool storytelling method. Okay, so let's talk about Matt. So Matt and the band are kind of marching towards Ilian and Samael at the beginning picks up Oliver, this ugly kid. And then he has this good moment. He eventually gets like pulled into all this stuff, gets pulled into Saladar. He tries to rescue Egwene, who he thinks is pretending to be the Amarillin. He's like, you better watch out because the real Amarillin's going to come get you. I'm guessing that's what you were referring to, Jake, in the non-spoiler episode when you said there was a good moment for Matt. Just just his whole interaction with Egwene there, how he goes there and gets like so put in his place by her, by like for some reason thinking she'd be doing that. Like no one would do that except for Matt. Matt's the only one who yeah. might pretend to be the Amerlin in the series. But and then I love how it gets kind of flipped on its head, how him showing such obeisance to her and like the next scene like really solidifies her role and gives her more like street cred with the rest of the Aes Sedai. It's like, oh, now they have to obey her more. So I, I just like that whole interaction there. It's pretty similar to the end of the Dragon Reborn when he comes in and tries to save him and doesn't, I mean, he does it okay, but they don't really need him. And then he gets like zero credit at the end. Yeah, they're like mad at him for even being there. <laughs> Although I, I think Egwene appreciated him more this time, like appreciated him being there and like what, like him being so respectful to her, calling her mother and stuff went a long way. Yeah, to me, that part felt like, yeah, afterwards, the relationship was better and that we'd see that more like later on because of that moment. Yeah. There was a low-key good moment after this where him and Tom have this conversation about like how he's trying to help everyone. Tom's like, you can't really do that all the time. Might be a conversation that Kaladin from Stormlight Archive needs to get. But then he gives Tom this letter. Do you guys... Ken, do you know what letter that was? You know what I'm talking about? It was from uh, Moraine, right? Okay. As yeah. Far, as yeah. far as I know. Yep. Yeah, that was a good moment where Tom kind of doesn't put him in his place, but like, look, this is how the world is kind of like, yeah, be more realistic with it. We kind of skipped over this. Uh, another good moment for Egwene is she basically rediscovered traveling on her own as well. Oh, which yes. Is, which is a big moment. Sorry, Rant. Can't be too arrogant on this. Yeah. Eventually. People are learning. <laughs> I like that she did that on her own where like Naive and Egwene have been claiming all these cool discoveries, but they've just been like extracting them from Mogideon the whole time. Right. Yeah. So just another <laughs> step up there for Egwene over Nynaeve the lane. I mean, Nynaeve does have healing being still right. all to her own. Right. Okay. Like, okay. Not even a, a Forsaken ever knew about that. That's true. That's true. Yeah, just fine, poor Elaine. fine, Jake. Uh, <laughs> Elaine, Elaine has some talents for sure. She can copy the Terangrael. How useful. <laughs> yeah, it's not it's not bad. It's, it's it's more than nothing. Yeah. All right, let's talk about another another woman here. So Min. Min didn't do a whole lot in this one. She's like traveling for a while. She kind of shows up at the end. Helps Rand out a lot, flirts with him quite a lot, gets nothing back in return, and is then eventually captured along with him. Eh, she's a good character, but she had a tough time in this one. I agree with that. Her her most exciting parts were when she had tellings or foretellings or whatever you call yeah. them of the different yeah, people those always, throughout. Those are always right? fun. The viewings. Yeah. Yep, the viewings. I mean, those are just fun as a reader because you're like, ooh, what does this mean? Yeah. You have to speculate. Such a nice way to like throw out foreshadowing directly that's actually like makes sense in world, you know? Yep. I will say she she didn't have that much to do this book other than the fort- the viewings. But I feel like you get a better sense for what like what she can be plot relevant for in the future. Like she has some strengths and she'll be able to use those. One thing I appreciated about her character is the first time reading it, I was sure she was going to become this damsel in distress for Rand at the end of the book. And I liked how they didn't really do that. Like she gets captured with Rand, but she like her being captured isn't the big issue like rand is yeah. completely dominated as, apart from that you know so i thought that was a good way to go about that instead of a typical oh we have to go save men now because that would have been like a terrible arc for her this book so another character that kind of comes in towards the end and is involved in this final conflict is perrin 
parents kind of traveling along with Fadil for most of it. And then he shows up, he impresses the Bashir parents a little bit, nicely done, gets into some annoying barreling, jealousy, drama, and then escapes from that and goes off to the rescue. He's able to figure out what's going on here with Rand and Min being gone for so long. Eventually gets all the Aes Sedai to join up with him and is instrumental in this victory. So good moments for Perrin. Yeah, for sure. I, I forgot when we were doing in the the non-spoiler review, like character moments that sh- that like really stood out. I think Perrin did a great job for as much as people like he likes to say that he's not the smartest. Like he's like he likes to think about things slowly. Like that's what helped him figure out that something was wrong where everyone's like, oh, Rand is always disappearing. So he's probably just disappeared again. But he was able to solve that. Okay, are we ready to talk about the final battle at Dumais Wells? I think so, because a lot of Perrin's major story elements come from that. So we might as well dive in. Yeah, I think we would go right up there. So eventually Rand is captured by the Aes Sedai. They betray him to Savannah and the Shido, another very aggravating, annoying group to me <laughs> and unfortunately the shido turn on the Sedai, and they do this at a bad time because all of rand's forces that have been tracking him are able to converge on them and then the battle ensues and it's very chaotic but it's a it's a total win for our guys but a little gruesome yeah heavy casualties more so for the shido than anyone yeah i mean no one we really care about is a casualty but there are a lot of casualties, a lot of gore here. Yeah. I was going to say, this is kind of the first moment for me where the breaking of the world becomes more real, right? Where you have all these uh, maybe men, like you have the war going on, but you also have men going crazy and tearing yeah. apart cities, right? Like this is the first time I think you've had that much like power really like unleashed. Yeah. This is the potential. Because all the, all the uses of the power you've really seen so far have been like the most destructive aimed directly at like a Forsaken or at Rand. But like the the experienced people are all Aes Sedai basically and they have the, the three oaths that really limit what they can do. But this was just pure like unchained power. Oh yeah. Ashaman kill. Yeah. One of the one of the more quotable lines from the series. Yeah. <laughs> and they just get torn apart. The shadow get torn apart and then they do this like roll of earth and fire and just yeah. destroy everything. Yeah. And it's cool too with like the dome of air that surrounds it. And then they lift up the dome and they do their killing waves underneath the, the two feet that get exposed or something like that. That's a really cool way the magic works. This was such a chaotic battle. And I think it did a great job of actually letting you follow along while feeling that sense of chaos. And I like how the battle was like peaking outside at the time that Rand was almost busting through out of his shield and out of the box. Like everything was like coming together at the right moment. I feel like it's a lot better than like, for example, the climax of eye of the world, which is very chaotic. And to this day, I can't, I can't yeah. follow it. It's so confusing, but I feel like this was executed almost perfectly. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it was, you get a lot of viewpoint shifts over those pages and it's not, explicitly described for you as a reader you kind of have to piece it together but you also get the sense of like okay we're seeing this all through different limited viewpoints and therefore the the characters are very confused so it makes sense yeah i liked it kaden what was the better line for you ashman kill or nil and swear to the lord dragon or you will be knelt <laughs> i actually like the second one you just mentioned better the ashman commands i felt were a little uh cheesy <laughs> <laughs> And and obviously they're all a little cheesy, little little anime ish with them yelling out the move they're about to use. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's a little too over the top for me though. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, a little Pokemon Thunderbolt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I got I got chills reading that. Neil and swear to the Lord Dragon, you will be knelt. And the I said I have have nothing, and they do it. That's a nice line. That's a good moment. Yeah, as I was gonna say, I was more caught up in the moment there because yeah, that was just like. Yeah, here we go. This is this is what I'm talking about. I feel like that's one of the first moments where I'm like, wait, like they're swearing to their to our like protagonist, but I don't think I want Rand to be doing this. You know, like this is <laughs> <laughs> like I'm glad Rand's on top again, but maybe this isn't the yeah. best idea, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a nice subversion because they said I there are they're like, oh yeah, Rand, we saved you. You know, we were trying to help you the whole time. And he's like, uh, no. 
Like I'm not I'm not dealing with you guys anymore. I have zero yeah. trust for Asadai, therefore swear to me. To go back to Jake's point, like yeah, you don't you're wary of Rand because of, you know, who he is and what might happen. But I think you get caught up in the hope that the other characters have too, where it's like you have to hope that Rand can, you know, lead them through Tarmagaden because like what else do they have to hope for? Yeah. Yep. I just mean like I was just torn like I want him to be in control and I want them to respect him, but is this turning down too dark of a path, Rand? Gotcha. All right, so that's a wrap for our talk through the plot. And we do our top three and bottom three for Wheel of Time. That That's something that's a staple of every episode. Since we already talked through all of our characters and their opinions, we can probably do this pretty quickly. So, Jake, you want to go first and give us your top three characters? This, again, is a list of characters based on their performance in the book, not necessarily like who our favorites are, most likable, who did the best. Yeah, you know, I want to put Rand in there somewhere in the top three, but it's so hard because he gets he gets owned so hard, but then comes out on top. But like, I feel like yeah, getting, yeah. getting caught in the box is like too much of a negative for him to be in the top three. So, and the embarrassing speech too, that was rough. Yeah. I wasn't as put off by that. I saw that more as like, just, he has this hope and then everyone's like, yeah, whatever. Like you, who are you to, to hope for us? I'll say time for number three, because he, he trained those Ashaman real quick and you can tell he's, you're not sure where he's at and, but you can tell he has a lot of power behind him either way. And then I'll put Perrin for number two. He didn't really do that much in the book, but he was totally instrumental in in getting Rand back, figuring out that he was even in danger and then calling all the wolves to help, which was like a heart wrenching thing for him to do, which is kind of his theme. Like, he doesn't really like the violence, but he has a knack for it. So I'll say him number two. And then number one, I think I'm going to go back to what you said in the non-spoiler review and, and say Egwene. She had the most, maybe not the most growth, but the best growth. Coming clean to the wise ones, facing her her toe with G, and uh, and becoming Amarlin. Like, it was great. All right, Kaden, your top three. Yeah, mine won't be that different. I had Matt as number three. And I... I actually really liked, there's a part we didn't talk about where the, the Shido come or, or teleport or travel to go kill him. Yeah. I think it's Shido. Maybe it's not. It's some Aiel. Yeah. And... Yeah, the Shido. Anyway, that part, I really like that. And then just his whole interaction with Egwene. And uh, I feel like he does a little bit of growing up there. So I, I really like Matt in this book. And then I had. That just reminded me, There's this, this book finally doesn't have any random Trolloc attacks. So great. This book is 10 out of 10 for me. <laughs> We're finally done with those. <laughs> <laughs> finally. Oh, the other thing about Matt, sorry, last thing, is that I feel like I always love watching his battle with like being a Tavirin, where he's like, I don't want to be doing this, but you know, I'm I'm being dragged along by Rand here, so I'll I'll just do my best. Yeah. I feel like he likes it. He likes the Yeah, deep down. He likes every every positive that comes from it. And he complains about every negative. Yeah, he just doesn't. He doesn't combine the two. That doesn't realize they're related. <laughs> uh, my number two, I had Egwene as number two, and Mazarin Time as number one. As far as like power, just because like yeah, like the end with Mazarin Time was just awesome. And Egwene, like her power was more like politicking and you know decision making, and and I like that. But yeah, just. Up to this point, before this book, you'd heard of Mazarin Taim as, you know, you didn't really know anything about him. This was his entrance to the this series, and I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Mine's pretty similar. I'm going Perrin, Egwene, and Taim in that order. So no originality here for me compared to your guys' list, but for the same reasons. They, those, those are our top three, obviously. No one else can be considered. All right, what are our bottom three? We might get a little bit more of a variety here, Jake, you want to start us off again? Yeah, I'll do Egwene for number three of the bottom three. Egwene is your bottom three? Sorry, Elaine. Elaine. Yeah, that makes sense. Classic. Classic. Answer. Always. Yeah. <laughs> must must be. Yes. And it's honestly like she has some cool moments, but not much happened for her, to be honest. And <laughs> even using that criteria, I'm not going to put men in the bottom three. That's another... Uh, <laughs> bias coming through on my end but um number two bottom three i would say 
I'd say Forsaken as a whole, just the Forsaken, because I mean, really all they did was get the Shido to travel. Yeah, Samael gives Savannah the, the box. And that didn't even work out for him because his vassal, Savannah, refused to call him yeah. when she had yeah. the dragon there. So yeah. Yeah. And yeah. then number one, I'm gonna put Savannah because I mean, she had like a, a pretty decent plan, you know. She almost had it. All she had to do is click that box. I guess she wouldn't have gotten Rand if that happened, but yeah. she, she was just totally owned at the end. Not like she was trying, she thought she was so smart trying to play all these sides, and then they were just completely dominated. Yep. She was too focused on wanting to be the wife of the Karakarn. Yeah. At whatever cost. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Kaden. All right. Uh, I'm going to change up mine a little bit because I had Savannah in mind here as well. But first one is Alana. Oh, yeah. Alana. That's a good pick. She had the guts to bond the, you know, Dragon Reborn and then no follow just felt like she whipped out after. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. What was her plan there? <laughs> yeah. And maybe I should just extend it. I, my number two is just going to be all of the rebel uh, Isid, or Solidar Aes Sedai in Camelon trying to convince Rand, you know, trying to get Rand on their side. Like, they just did an awful job. Like, when they, they kind of got, you know, they thought Rand had attacked one of their Aes Sedai with, with the Aiel, but they just made some bad moves that really put them in the position at the end where they had to kneel to him, right? So that yeah. was kind of embarrassing for them. And then I actually had Rand... So we'll put them. But Rand is my number one bottom. I'll have to change that. Oh, we'll put man. him at three. No, I, I think he, that's valid. I, I considered it. I considered it. I mean, he, he got yeah. stuffed in a box. He's the dragon he reborn. That's embarrassing. He thought he was so cool. He could play these two groups off of each other. He did do some cool things. But honestly, this book was about him being. I mean, you could say stuffed about him being humbled or him being forced to become harder. <laughs> Whichever way you want to grow. You can argue at the end the victory was because he had entrusted Mazram Taim to get the Ashaman, but at the same time, he didn't really take part that much. You know, he didn't really play a big part in the battle, right? He kind of just escaped. He would have a escaped. little bit of die, and then yeah. would he have escaped though? Because they the the Aes Sedai holding his shield were tying it off because they, they had to deal with other things. Yeah, so yeah, he might yeah. not have ever escaped without that. Debatable. Yep. So that's why he. Yep. I'll I'll keep him in there. Yep. Final. In my bottom three there. He did look pretty good in that puffy shirt after he got out of the box, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it looks like a cover of a romance novel. It really does. <laughs> All right. My bottom three. I'm going to go with... Uh, I wasn't impressed with Morghese in Amadicia. Eh, maybe not the greatest play for her. I guess I understand what she's doing, but eh, a little, little weak there. I'm going Gowan. I don't like Gowan, and it's annoying to me that he was able to get Egwene to fall in love with him because she is so obviously out of his league and he's got this burning hatred towards Rand, which eh, is annoying. The, the confrontation with the two at the end was pretty good. They're like, I will see you dead, Althor. But at the same time, I don't like Gowan, so Gowan's going there. And then my bottom character, I'm going to go maybe a step further than you, Caden, just say all Aes Sedai in total because none of them did very well at all, except for Egwene and Swan. Maybe Swan is is part of the, the my top three, but any like random Aes Sedai, that Aes Sedai did bad, guaranteed. Yeah, I will say with Gawain though, he had a cool moment of not joining the Aes Sedai and def- like defending against freeing Rand. You know, yeah, isn't that when he decided to basically like we're done here? Yeah, they just kind of hoofed it out of there. He tried to save Min, and Min was like, yeah, I don't need to be saved. And by the way, Elaine loves Rand, so... He's like, ugh. Yeah, yeah, get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) He keeps having these awkward moments with Min, like when Min and Swan and Leanne escape the White Tower during the schism. Yeah. And then at this moment... (laughs) Maybe a little little like Matt, too, trying to save the girls that don't want to be saved. Yeah, a little bit. I also considered Avienda and Lan. Avienda, like, she's there, but man, she just gets kind of shunted to the side and she doesn't stand up for herself enough to be a part of the action in this one. A little disappointing after a coming out party in the previous book. Yeah. And then Lan. And is Lan even in this book? Like, besides, like, one small, teeny chapter? Yeah, maybe it's unfair of me to say that. It's just, he's yeah. more just like bottom three because he's not doing anything. But it's also understandable he's just traveling the whole time. So we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, I just imagine him as this like 
ever since Moraine's died, just like this ravenous, like, oh, I'm land. Oh, I need to be tamed. <laughs> just living off the land. <laughs> I love they make they make his travel seem like they would kill any other man and he's like fighting for his life to get wherever he's going. But you have no idea where that is and like if he's actually like been fighting. I don't know. It just seems like kind of funny. Yeah. All right. So thanks for listening. This has been our spoiler review of Lord of Chaos. Again, if you didn't listen to the first one, give that a listen for our kind of general takes on the book. And Caden is continuing to read, right? Even I though am. Lord of Chaos was a little bit of a down downer, you're still in yeah, book no. seven? I actually am about to start it. So I took a little two-week break, you know, but I'm, okay. I'm diving back okay. in. Are You you're, you might be uh, sidelined a little bit by Rhythm of War coming out, I assume. I know. I don't know if I'll finish it because that will probably take a little precedent. Less than a month. We're pumped for that one. If you like Phantology, check us out at www.phantologybooks.com. Right now we're doing this series of Rhythm of War pre-release chapters. So that's me live streaming from this location every every Tuesday night on those pre-release chapters. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and check that out. You can support us at patreon.com slash phantology underscore books. Anything else we need to plug, Jake? We're working on getting a, an Audible partnership up and running again, but I think for now that's good. Check out our merch. We got some some cool merch if you're into that. And if you'd like to support the author and purchase our books that we review, you can find affiliate links on our on our episode descriptions. So check that out. I do want to say um, the we have a charity of choice that we like, prisoner or books for prisoners. Check that out. And if you feel so inclined, give a donation. It really helps with I can never say the word recidivism. Is that it? Correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the word. So yeah, yeah check that out. <laughs> you said obeisance and obeisance. What did she say? Obeisance. Yeah. And what what other vocab words Reticent. did you come with? Reticent is yeah. a good one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay. trying to step up my game. You know. <laughs> I like. I probably need to read more. <laughs> <laughs> Next, you'll be telling us about uh, sconces to put the torches in. Sconces, no, that's a word I'll never remember. <laughs> I can never remember the name of the, the things for plants, like tomato plants, things that go around. Trellis? Trellis, yeah, I can never remember those. All right, thanks for listening through all of this. Uh, we'll, we'll see you next time with our next review. <laughs>